scripture reading this morning will be Revelations 20, verses 11 through 15. 20, 11 through 15. <clears throat> then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works, by the things which were written in the books. The sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were, with, who were in them, and they were judged, each one according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death, and anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Tillett Tedley is one of my all-time favorite composers because I think that he and I share a whole lot in common. He was not just a hymn writer, which he did extremely well. I think you'll find as you thumb through the songbook, uh, all of the songs that we have that are categorized, not certainly not the complete catalog of what he wrote, but they are very, very well written. The ones by Tedley, he wrote things like Off We Come Together. Um, he wrote songs like uh, What Will Your Answer Be or Where Will You Spend Your Eternity. And there's a singability about them. But also in Tillett S. Tedley's life, he was also a preacher. He was also a preacher. And as he wrote these songs, he would often have a theme or a, a topic in mind whenever he wrote the songs. One of his most famous is uh, the one based upon the text of Revelation 4 and 5, and that is uh, Worthy Art Thou. And he said that that was his all-time favorite hymn because he had the least to do with the words. He could just look at it and you capture something of the worthiness of God by the song that's sung. But he wrote on a number of topics, not the least of which, hope, heaven, worship. But there's also a number of invitation songs that he wrote. And as you hear his invitation songs, as a preacher, what it often hears to me or what it sounds like to me is that he as a preacher is preaching his heart out. But then in the song that's sung, like what will your answer be, he's trying to pick up your foot and put it down and pick up your other foot and put it down and pick up that foot and put it down so that you can come down the aisle because you recognize that we're all going to have to stand before God one day in the great white throne judgment, as Jim just read for us. I want you to sing this song with me. And I, Brothers and sisters, when you sing, you cannot divorce the emotion of what's built into the song from the actual text of the song itself. I want you to hear how haunting the song is and how it is almost that Tilda's Tedley wants you to hear this song repeating over and over and over in your mind as you lay there at midnight thinking about the sleepless night that you're not right with the Lord. Sing the song with me, please, and listen to the haunting melody. Someday you'll stand at the bar on high. Someday your record you'll see. Someday you'll answer the question of life. What will your answer be? 
What will it be? What will it be? Where will you spend your eternity? What will it be? Oh, what will it be? What will your answer be? Sadly you'll stand if you're unprepared. Trembling you'll fall on your knee. Facing the sentence of life or of death. What will that sentence be? What will it be? What will it be? Where will you spend your eternity? What will it be? Oh, what will it be? What will your answer be? Now is the time to prepare, my friend. Make your soul spotless and free. Washed in the blood of the crucified one. He will your answer be. What will it be? What will it be? Where will you spend your eternity? What will it be? Oh, what will it be? What will your answer be? You hear the anxious nature of the tones as he wrote this song. But then at the very end, you hear the finality of what it is that you have chosen. Brothers and sisters, the point this morning is simple. We are going to choose where we are going to spend eternity. That's not based upon anything other than my choice. Because God has done His part, and you and I have a choice to make this morning. What will your answer be? Someday you'll stand at the bar on high. Someday your record you'll see. It's not going to be based upon what mom or dad thought. It's not going to be based upon what the preacher taught me. It may not be based upon what the elders held. It may not be anything else. The answer is going to be based upon your response to the gospel and the words of Jesus Christ. Jesus said in John 12, 48 through 50, you reject me, you reject my words. He has that which judges him. The word that I've spoken, the same will judge him in the last day. If you've got your Bibles, open them up to Revelation 20, uh, Revelation 20, verses 11 through 15, the passage Jim read for us just a few moments ago. From this passage, and actually from the three verses of the song that we just sung, I want to make an irrefutable point about the judgment day that all of us would do well to consider. <clears throat> I'm going to ask you to do something else, brothers and sisters. I'm going to ask you to get in your mind somebody that you know right now needs to obey the gospel. And I want you to pray fervently for that person throughout the course of this lesson. I want you to think about yourself and about your family and about whether or not they are ready to face the judgment. And as you pray throughout this sermon, for each one of these points, it's just a simple prayer. God, help this person to understand the necessity of being ready to meet you because we don't want anybody to go unprepared to meet God. Point number one. Are you ready for the judgment? 
what will your answer be? We will all stand before God. We will all stand before God. Someday you'll stand at the bar on high. Someday your record you'll see. Facing, or what, uh, what have you done with the question of life? What will your answer be? The Bible tells us in passages like 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and verse 10, we will all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that we may do the, receive the things that are done in the body, whether good or bad. In the same context, you know what he talks about with regard to Christians. He says, therefore, verse 11, knowing the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. In your passage there, you see a great white throne sitting on, sitting right there in stage center, verse 11. And it said, from the face of him who sat on the throne, the earth and the heavens tried to flee away. They tried to get away from this person, from this one who's sitting here on the throne. And the truth is that there was found no place for them. Back in Revelation chapter 6, the Bible describes judgment a judgment of God, and it says the earth, kings of the earth, and the mighty men, and, and all those who are wealthy, and the military rulers, and all those people tried to flee away from the one who sat on the throne and from the face of the, from the wrath of the Lamb. They tried to cry out and say, do the mountains cover us and the hills fall on us? Who's going to save us? The idea is, if I could start digging and dig down to the center of the earth, and I could find a small cave there, I would want to cower in the middle of the corner of that cave, trying to hide away from the judgment of God. But there was found no place for them. Brothers and sisters, we have an appointment to keep. If we are of accountable age, if we are people who understand the difference between right and wrong and what our sin has done in hurting our relationship with the living God, we have an appointment to keep. We are all going to stand before God. Someday you'll stand at the judgment bar of God. I never looked really at the idea of what a bar is. But, uh, it, uh, you know, you talk about lawyers and about uh, and them practicing for the bar. What it is, is actually in a courtroom scene, what you have is that, that, that line that divides the spectators from those who are actually involved in the trial. That's crossing the bar and that's going into the judgment box because the person who is the defendant over here and the prosecution over here, you've got this person who is personally involved in that. He's got his counsel with him, but they're all sitting there before the judge. You ever thought about the fact that someday it's going to be your turn to cross over and into the bar and to stand before the bar and to receive the things that you've done in the body, whether good or ill? I imagine in my life, God opening up the book of my life and the record of things I've done. And looking down at the list and talking about everything. Not leaving one thing out. And looking at the time that I was rash with my judgment. The time that I was, that I was uh, too, too, too harsh with my children. The time when it was that I, I looked at something that I wasn't supposed to. Or the time that I behaved in certain ways. You know what? We are judged by our works. What does that mean? The things I did. The things I did, but also the things that I said. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago, didn't we? About how untamable the tongue is from James chapter 3. And how it is that God looks and he has a record of all those things. Growing up in Sunday school, we had a, a poster right outside our, our, our classroom. It had one of those old tape recorders, those reel-to-reel -reel things, you know. And uh, as we're looking at that, uh, above it it said, 
what if every word that you said today was recorded? And then underneath it, it said, it has been. Are you ready to face those things that you've done? Standing before God where the record is open and where you're going to see what it is that you've done in the body, whether good or ill? We've got an appointment to keep. We've got something that we're going to stand before God one day. Number two, we are all going to face the sentence of life or of death. Sadly, you'll stand if you're unprepared. Trembling, you'll fall on your knee. Facing the sentence of life or of death, what will that sentence be? You know, the Bible tells us that God is going to do what's right. Genesis 18, verse 25, Abraham asked the question rhetorically, understanding God will. Will not the judge of all the earth do what's right? And you look at the things and the inequities and the injustice in this life and how some people seem to get away with murder and how it is that some people never seem to have anything bad that ever happens to them. But the understanding of that is those people are going to face the judgment just as much as you and I are. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 17 cautions us and tells us that there is a point in time that we're going to stand before the crucified one. We're going to face the sentence of life or of death. And looking at our passage here, it says the small and the great, the dead, all of the people that have ever been are going to stand and they're going to face the judgment. They're going to face the sentence of life or death. Jesus says there's only two ways that people are going to go. Matthew 25, he paints a picture of judgment. He says, here's the sheep. Here's the goats. There's not a third category. Life or of death. Salvation. Torment. Those are the only two choices that you have. You're going to face a sentence. What will that sentence be? Brothers and sisters, we prepare our lives for so many different things. We prepare for retirement. We prepare for times when we don't know that the bottom's going to drop out. We've got insurance and things for when a child happen, has, has to have an emergency appendectomy. And we have all kinds of different things. We've got contingencies and plans and plans for our plans and, and programs and all of these things in place. And sometimes we can have a plan and a program for every single event in our life. But the question we have to ask is, what are we going to do when we face the sentence of life or of death? What are we going to do when we stand before God? What will that sentence be? We're going to make a choice about where we're going to spend an eternity. But by the time we get to the bar, by the time we stand before God, brothers and sisters, it's going to be too late. It's going to be too late. So point number three, the crucified one is your only hope. Now is the time to prepare my friend. Make your soul spotless and free, washed in the blood of the crucified one. He, he will your answer be. First Timothy 1 verse 15, Paul said, listen, I know Christ Jesus came to this world. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all exceptions that Christ Jesus came to save sinners of whom I am chief. We spoke about that this morning in the auditorium Bible class about how Paul could look back at his life and say, I was an insolent man. I was a murderer. I was a persecutor of the church. I was a blasphemer. And you look at all those things that you were before and say, I shouldn't have done any of those things. But the joy and the hope for Paul was that he had had his sins washed away. 
Revelation 1 verse 5, John begins this book of which we're finishing here in Revelation 20 verses 11 through 15 by saying to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. To Christians, we've had our sins washed away, not only past, but a continual living for him and recognizing that we're continually being cleansed of the sins that we commit. 1 John chapter 1 verses 7 through 9. But as you look, and you see that he says anyone who is not found in the Lamb's book of life or in the book of life. And you ask the question, why it is the Lamb's book of life? It is because he's the one that purchased salvation. He's the one that has the record of who's his and who are not his. And brothers and sisters, as we stand before the bar, we've got a vivid picture of what's going to happen here at the judgment, but there's so much left that's that we just don't know. Because the Bible doesn't necessarily give us step-by-step and details about the way that the judgment's going to happen, but I've got to imagine in my mind that as it's my turn to stand before the judgment bar of God, as I'm standing there ready to receive the sentence of a life or of death, and God looking at my record and said, Andy, you didn't always treat your wife like you ought to. Andy, you flew off the handle a whole lot. Andy, you let too many words slip out in haste and in arrogance and in pride. Andy, you weren't the best father that you could have been. Andy, you didn't treat the church like you ought to. Is there anything that you'd like to say before your sentence is pronounced? And then my Savior, my advocate, my mediator, comes and stands by my side and says, this one's mine. He was not perfect by any stretch of the imagination. But he had his, his sins washed away in my blood. Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters, is the only answer that any of us can ever give. He is the only plea, not wealth, not might, not power, not Aggies, not Longhorns, not PhDs, not how many letters you had after your name, not what kind of car you drove or what kind of clothes you wore in this life. The only answer that you will ever give, that the only answer that is ever going to allow you into rest is the answer that God has provided in the crucified one, Jesus Christ. He will your answer be. What will it be? What will it be? Where will you spend your eternity? What will it be? Oh, what will it be? What will your answer be? What will you choose? I want you to understand that the matter this morning is urgent. There are some people that want to obey the gospel but they always think they're going to have more time. The matter is urgent. In fact, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 1 and 2, Paul would say, now, now is the acceptable time. You want to know when the right time to obey the gospel is? It's now. Do it now because we're not promised another minute. Now is the acceptable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. You look at your life and you realize the possibility is that you could leave out of this parking lot and get hit by a car. You could have a heart attack that could take your life in a moment. 
the time for choosing is over. It could be that the Lord comes back even before the end of this lesson and the time for choosing will be over. You've already made your choice and the choice to not obey the gospel is the choice that you've made. The matter is urgent. The matter is personal. It's my choice. As we mentioned at the very beginning of the sermon, it's your choice. And I can't plead anything. I can't plead ignorance. I can't plead the fifth. I can't plead anything other than the blood of Jesus Christ to save me. Personal. It's my choice. It is inevitable. We like to treat life like we're going to go on forever, don't we? We like to live our lives like there's always going to be tomorrow. James would condemn that type of thinking in James chapter 4 and saying, Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we're going to such and such a city and buy and sell and spend a year and make a profit. He says you don't know what your life is going to be like tomorrow. In the very same breath, he says, your life is just but a vapor that appears for a short time and vanishes away. Do you know when the end of your life is going to be? You don't. I don't. But unless the Lord comes first, it is going to end. You do not exist here on this earth forever. You will not continue in this body forever. You're going to spend eternity somewhere. And the matter is yours to decide. I would love to be able to grab you by the hand and pull you down the aisle and put you into the water. But all I'd be doing is getting you wet. I would love to say you're going to choose to decide for, that Jesus Christ is worth following. You're going to do that. I can't do that. Paul laments this in Romans chapter 9 and saying, you know what, I wish for my Jewish brethren's sake, I wish I could become accursed for their sake so that they could have salvation and I could spend eternity in hell. That was Paul's desire, saying I love them so much, I want them to obey the gospel so much, I want them to come to a right relationship with God so much. But this is the plan. You choose. I choose. The matter is yours and mine to decide. Brothers and sisters, where will you spend your eternity? I'm going to give you just a moment to pack things up. Go ahead. If you want to close your Bibles, if you want to close your, your handouts or whatever, I want you to be very, very still in the closing moments as I give this final admonition. I can't say close your songbooks anymore because, well, or open your songbooks because most of you don't have your songbooks there. You realize that back in May 1980, Mount St. Helens had been making noises for weeks. For two months, the seismologists, the people that study volcanoes, had been registering events in the ground. They'd been recognizing that there was going to be a cataclysmic eruption of this mountain. They didn't know when. They didn't know how bad it would be, but they knew that it was coming some point in the future. And for a lot of the people, they were making radio announcements and broadcast about this eruption of Mount St. Helens. And as they were talking about it, there were a lot of people that chose to evacuate the area. One of the most famous men who chose not to evacuate was by the name of Harry R. Truman. Harry Randall Truman. He was a 83-year-old <clears throat> caretaker and owner of a, uh, a lodge known as the Mount St. Helens Lodge there at Spirit Lake. He was 83 years old, as I mentioned, and he was also a veteran. He was a veteran of World War I. 
In fact, he had survived uh, the sinking of his troop transport ship by a German submarine there off of the coast of Ireland. And so he, he was accustomed to danger and all those different things. But Harry Truman decided that he wasn't going to evacuate when they told him to evacuate. And in fact, he told reporters, I don't know whether or not it's going to blow, but I don't believe it enough to move, to change right now. On May 18th in 1980, Mount St. Helens did erupt. And it covered the entire area all around it with mud, with debris, with ash. And Harry Truman and his lodge were buried beneath 150 feet of that volcano, volcanic ash and mud. His body was never found. And I wonder sometimes when we hear messages about the judgment and about the fact that we are going to stand before God one day and we're either going to stand prepared or unprepared, how it is that God, through his messengers, through preaching and teaching, through his word, he sounds the warning. Listen, judgment is coming. Are you ready? Are you ready to face that? And how often we just look at the face of God and say, you know what? I don't believe it enough to change my life. I don't believe it enough to obey the gospel right now. But the truth of the matter is, brothers and sisters, we're being foolish if we think that that's the way it's going to work. We're being foolish if we think that we have one more day or one more hour, one more minute. The only answer that we're going to be able to give is the plea of Jesus Christ that I have submitted to him. I have named him as Lord and Savior. I have changed my mind and my heart with regard to my sins. Acts 2 and verse 38. I have submitted my life to him and I have submitted to be baptized for the forgiveness of sins. Romans 6 verse 3 and 4. I'm living and I'm walking faithfully so that if it is that the Lord chooses to come back in the next moment, I can say, it is well with my soul. I'm ready to go home. I'm ready to be received up to glory. That's my answer. What will your answer be? If you need to obey the gospel right now, we're going to offer a time of encouragement a time of invitation where it is that you can go and grab a coat of somebody else or you can come down here to the front. But we would love to help you make your soul right as much as our, it depends on us as we stand and sing our invitation song.